Hello and welcome to the third episode of Forum Golf Tech Europe, the podcast that fosters the debate on the relationship between government and technology in Europe and beyond. I'm your host Simon and today we will be talking to Ethel Huiyantan, who is a policy advisor on digital government and data, governance and innovation to the OECD in Paris. Ethel obtained a bachelor's degree in business administration and politics at Sciences Po Paris and Shanghai Jiao Tong University. Moreover, she holds a master's degree in public policy with a focus on new and digital technologies from Sciences Po Paris. Originally from Singapore, Ethel has lived in both Asia and Europe and worked in different positions across the private and public sector. We talked about digital government, the regulation of emerging technologies and GovTech from an Eurasian perspective. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Ethel. So we're here today with Ethel Huyentan, who is a policy advisor to the OECD in Paris in digital government and data. Hey, Ethel, thank you very much for being here today. Thanks, Simon, for having me. Great. So I recall that you told me that you're passionate about technology governance. Could you give us a brief insight into how you got where you are today? Yeah, that is right. So at the OECD, I specialize in digital and data governance, and I'm developing what we call the e-leaders governance handbook for governments to improve their governance of digital governance. So to give you a brief overview of my story, Around the early 2010s, I have to be honest with you that I was, like many others, pretty wide-eyed towards technology. Back then, I was working at a Singapore government agency that supports the growth and internationalization of SMEs called International Enterprise Singapore. I was focusing on the lifestyle business portfolio going digital in China and engaging with and researching on Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, and Sina. So at the same time, I was reading up a lot on emerging technologies, just as when they were starting to be hyped up uh, on AI, IoT, 3D printing, 5G, blockchain, cryptocurrency, in various fields like manufacturing technology, logistics tech, consumer tech, medtech, fintech, you name it. It was all very exciting, right? Platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, Tinder, Telegram would just create it. And Uber, Airbnb, and the gig economy were also perceived to be interesting disruptions. I think around that time, many of us sincerely did believe that technologies could enable a better and brighter future. But one question was at the back of my mind, was that where was the power going to shift towards? The economy, the government, society? Or is it going to be anarchy as prompted by the creation of Bitcoin? I was particularly interested in decentralized and distributed networks as they presented great potential to resolve market failures or governance challenges like information asymmetry, monopolies and contract fulfillment. It built trust, it enabled uh, transactions, it allowed more people to trade in the digital economy where they previously could not. But 
over the past 10 years, we did start to see abuse and misuse of digital technologies and data from Edward Snowden's leaks on NSA to social media and the internet being used for terrorist activities, disinformation and misinformation campaigns. And of course, who, for, who could forget the Cambridge Analytica scandal? So at the same time, we saw countries moving into two major directions. Either the private sector consolidating the power through big tech, the military-industrial complex and operating surveillance capitalism, or the government taking control of how digital technologies are used, being ahead in regulating them, and developing its state surveillance capacity and capability. So when I was deciding on my graduate studies, I wanted to be part of the discourse and debate on how we rethink technology governance from antitrust, taxation, data protection, and cross-border data flows, even digital government, surveillance and security, algorithm and platform regulation. So I ended up doing a master of public policy in digital and new technologies at Sciences Po in Paris and worked and today I'm working at the OECD on digital government and data policy. Well, that is a very fascinating journey. Thank you for giving us an insight into this. Um, very interesting. And what does your work at the OECD as policy advisor for digital government exactly entail? Sure. So if I can break it down, my work has two main scopes. On one side, we regularly meet with government officials from OECD member countries and selected non-member countries. So under digital government, it is called the OECD Working Party of Senior Digital Government Officials, or what we call the E-Leaders. Under open data, it is the OECD Expert Group on Open Government Data. For us, these are very important official bodies where we discuss countries' experiences, challenges and approaches to gather insights and data to inform our work and publications. We also have three main regional networks that bring together, bring together government and non-governmental stakeholders, Latin America and the Caribbean called LAC, Middle East and North Africa, MENA, and Southeast Asia. I'm mainly working on the latter two, and taking the lead on Southeast Asia because I've spent my early years growing up in Singapore. So for the other scope, we undertake projects bilaterally with governments, doing country reviews, country studies, research reports, capacity building activities, etc. For instance, last year I worked on a digital government study for Lebanon to look into and provide actionable recommendations uh, for the governance of its digital government. I've also worked on the open and connected review of Thailand to look into how the government of Thailand can better build an open and digital government in line with its ambitious plans to advance on its digital development. And in this review, I wrote the chapters on how Thailand can better enable a data-driven public sector and an open data ecosystem. So these two publications will soon be published. And to put my work into perspective, I am in the public governance directory. So why do we do what we do? The OECD stands for better policies for better lives. At the end of the day, it is about ensuring that governments are better able to improve public governance outcomes, economic development that is sustainable, inclusive, and resilient, and social development that improves the well-being of people, leaving no one behind. And where does technology play into all this? 
Technology can be used to bring governments closer to their people, from informing them, communicating with them, consulting, engaging, co-creating, and co-delivering. And this can only be achieved through openness, open data, sharing data, and open source. And this is why we need a digital government that is open and innovative. Wow, fascinating! Thank you very much for that insight.、Um, yeah, could you also shed some light on what technology is and why it's increasingly more important? Yes. So. But we need technology policy to re- regulate technology, right? We do this through government's decisions and actions to ensure that the benefits of technology are maximized across the economy and society, sustainably, inclusively, and equitably, and that the risks are mitigated or even annulled. Right, these decisions and actions can either be hard, such as legislations, decrees, rules. Are soft, such as frameworks, guidelines, toolboxes, or programs. In regards to technology policy, I can give you four examples of intergovernmental policy that the OECD has produced. And one major category of it is the OECD recommendations of the Council. They are legal instruments that are not legally binding, but they have a great moral force for adherents to practice and work towards fully implementing them. So the first one is what we say the OECD recommendations of the Council for Open Government, which was passed in 2017. It is to promote a culture of governance based on the principles of transparency, integrity, accountability, and stakeholder participation, using resources such as information, digital, and data tools for stakeholders to collaborate in all phases of the policy cycle and service design and delivery. We also have OECD recommendations of the Council for AI, artificial intelligence, that was passed in 2019. It sets out five value-based principles for the responsible stewardship of trustworthy AI, which has gone on to inspire the G20 AI principles. Now, on my work scope, which is digital government. We have the recommendations of the Council for Digital Government Strategies that was passed in 2014. They were reviewed again in 2017, but member countries agreed that they were still valid, so the content has not been changed. And if I could give you a brief rundown of what these recommendations mean, they are basically three pillars or three sets of principles that we want to put forth. The first pillar is about how governments undergo digitalization in a way that would increase openness. The second pillar covers governance that needs to be in place to support the digitalization process. So, namely, leadership, political commitment, policy coherence, coordination in the implementation process, and international cooperation. And the third pillar addresses the policy levers and capacities to support implementation. Here we're talking about the strategy and action plan, the management tools like the ability to make a strong business case, and formulate value propositions for digitalization projects, such as co- procurement and commissioning. You know,、uh, having people and talent in the government, and also having the right financial measures and regulations. And lastly, we have a digital governance policy framework, which is our main tool that builds on the recommendations. It is structured on six dimensions, so as to assist governments in the adoption of 
digital policies to attain what we say to be a digitally mature government. So the first one is to be digital by design, which is having a digital and omni-channel approach in the design of processes and policies and services. The second one is to have a data-driven public sector, which is using data as an asset enable trustworthy and secure data access, sharing, and reuse. The third is to act as a platform, right? And this means developing clear, scalable tools to deliver user-driven, seamless cross-sector services. The fourth is to be open by default, which is to make information data source code available to the public to drive collaboration and innovation. The fifth is to put user at the heart. It is to be, be user-driven, which is given, giving a central role to people's needs in policies and services. And the last is to be proactive, which is anticipating people's needs and responding quickly. Fantastic. So let's move on to discuss about GovTech. Tell us what GovTech means and what the most important considerations that governments should make to optimize it. Sure, thanks. So to me, GovTech has been actually used as a buzzword or jargon to the extent that I think we really just need to break it down conceptually. At one level, GovTech refers to how governments leverage digital technologies to improve internal processes and the way public policies and services are designed and delivered. So it includes thinking about the governance of digital technologies on one hand and digital government on the other hand. It is about the political and policy context in which governments digitalize and to what end. On another level, GovTech also refers to the digital government ecosystem that involves the public sector, private sector, like businesses from startups to SMEs to multinational enterprises, professional organizations, citizens, civil society organizations, and academia. So it is an ecosystem that should be consulted with, engaged with, and mobilized for the government to ensure the adoption of technologies that are coordinated, coherent, and effective across the country. So why is GovTech important? Many governments right now are finding themselves having to navigate through an entirely different political and social economic context than 20 years ago. We live in a global and digital world that is highly connected, right? Information travels across countries and the world in a split second. And we have seen so many instances of the internet being used as ways for massive social mobilization from the Arab Spring to school strike for climate, Black Lives Matter, and even the violence against the Rohingya in Myanmar. So the economic and social fabric of countries have never been this vulnerable. At the same time, technologies present a silver lining, right? They can be used if handled correctly to improve openness, transparency, integrity, accountability. It can be used to stop corruption and restore public trust. And this is why GovTech or leveraging technology under the leadership of governments need to have two fundamentals to overcome the current challenges and tap on opportunities for economic and social development to build a brighter future. 
at the OECD, we advocate for two uh, approaches. One is the whole of government approach, and secondly, an ecosystem approach to policy making and implementation. So let me dive into these two approaches right now. The first approach, whole of government approach, is about better governance of digital government and data. This approach is about involving public sector organizations across policy areas and levels of government to engage, exchange, and build policy coherence on digitalization. The keywords here are policy coherence. We want to have policy coherence in the adoption of digital technologies for service design and delivery, procurement and commissioning, public communication and financial management, or even in building the architecture and infrastructure for open data and data sharing. So what exactly does this entail? First of all, governments need to have the right institutional models. Where should the leading public sector organization be placed and positioned? Is it in the center of the government? Right? Should it be a government agency or a coordinating online ministry? And should the approach to digital transformation be centralized or decentralized? Now, the choice is ultimately based on the country's political and institutional context as to whether it is a federal or a centralized administration. And we have countries adopt these various approaches. What is most important is that this public sector organization has a clear mandate with the necessary power and authority to make decisions on the design, coordination, implementation, compliance of digital data policies. And at the same time, other public sector organizations should also be given the right degree of agility and the right amount of space to innovate and experiment while adhering to these standards. So now let's look at an example. Germany, right, given that it is a federation where each Bundesland has its own constitution and government, would naturally face challenges in having a holistic approach to digital and data-driven policies for the whole public sector. And specifically for data policies, Germans, Germany's first open data law that was introduced in 2017 still faces many obstacles at an operational level in terms of developing the measures and mechanisms that would protect and anonymize personal data while enabling its availability and use. And also in terms of creating the environment and culture where stakeholders and people are comfortable with a data-driven public sector economy and society. Now, you can also have another instance, for instance, Estonia, that has a centralized power structure. The central government has extensive executive power over the country, which would favor coherent digital government policies. But its digital architecture and government approach is actually pretty decentralized, such that it wants its public sector organizations to get to choose their own system. And in the end, we saw that Estonia became the first in the world to interconnect decentralized components of the public sector databases at a national level through a core data exchange infrastructure, X-Road. And it's pretty famous all around the world right now. 
So honestly, countries can take different approaches, but it really depends on the context and what fits the current context the best. At the same time, right, we need to think of the leading public sector organization of having sufficient political and administrative backing in order to express its organizational leadership. So how closely should this organization work with the office of the head of government, for example, right? Does it have sufficient influence over the other policy areas such that it can design scalable digital and data tools and platforms that can be used across the public sector? How will it work with the commissions, the steering committees, task forces, etc.? And at the same time, it needs personal leadership. Right, in the form of government's CIOs and CDOs who commit to transparency, integrity, accountability, and engagement with stakeholders. Now I can give you another example. The United Kingdom's leading public sector organization for digital transformation is the Government Digital Service, the GDS, which is at the center of the government and part of the cabinet office. How it works is that it works the whole government from the national to the local levels to build cross-government tools and platforms and assist in the digitalization of public services. It also creates standards for public service, technology code of practice, digital professional capabilities and financial management even. And just this month, they announced the appointment of three senior leadership positions in the digital data and technology area with the political backing of the prime minister. One of the positions includes the CEO of the government digital service, which is the agency we're talking about. And even though these appointments are new, what is needed is that all these roles need to be clear in terms of the governance structure for it to work. Right, where the accountabilities, where's uh, the scope of responsibility, all these need to be stated. And again, I can bring to attention that these outcomes should really be around rebuilding the trust in the government and public institutions. Governments need to make sure that digital technology and data are enablers and assets and not impediments to economic and social development. And for this to happen, governments also need the right policy levers that make up the environment to support effective implementation of the digitalization strategy and action plan. So essentially, this goes back to the point that digitalization needs to be well coordinated and have policy coherence across the whole public sector. And policy levers are there to enable that. So that is the first approach. Now, the second approach is the ecosystem approach. This is what I call towards a people-centric and people-driven government. The GovTech ecosystem approach is about ensuring a wide range of government and non-governmental stakeholders to be involved in a fair and inclusive way towards building a digital government that works for the people. So a healthy GovTech ecosystem would be able to foster the synergies of open government, digital government, and public sector innovation, which means that it is about establishing the regulations, the frameworks, and the guidelines for public-private partnerships, PPPs, or even PPPPs, which is public-private people partnerships, as we sometimes say. 
Many OECD member countries are already actively involving and engaging with users, citizens, and industry stakeholders on public policy formulation and service design and delivery, such as Finland, Korea, the Netherlands, and the United Kingdom. However, there are a few considerations that need to be made when designing and adopting these approaches. First of all, for citizen participation and cooperation, Right. Governments need to make sure that they are conducted in the spirit of actually aiming to improve the government's governance, which is transparency, legitimacy, and accountability. Citizens should actually feel like they have real power and capability to propose and design initiatives. It shouldn't be a patronizing process where governments still control the consultation and engagement process. And second of all, it needs to be inclusive, right? Where majority and minority segments of the population are involved. The governments of Canada, Australia, New Zealand often share about how the indigenous and rural populations are taken into account in the design and delivery of these public services. So that's a good point there. Now, on the side of industry participation and cooperation, that needs to be looked at from a different lens. Why? Because governments need to conduct the process in a way that is transparent and of integrity on a level playing field, such that interest groups and lobbyists do not have undue influence to propose and design initiatives that prioritizes private interests or industry interests over that of the public. There should be robust institutional frameworks and mechanisms to regulate and manage industry participation and cooperation, especially in regards to ethics, data protection, privacy, consent, and security. So finally, a good GovTech ecosystem also needs to have the right skills and culture that creates a responsive, agile, and innovative environment where all kinds of stakeholders are willing and able to come together to co-design and co-deliver solutions. A culture of learning, coaching, problem solving, and iteration is the key to this public sector innovation. Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing your insights from an OECD perspective. You mentioned at the beginning that you lived in Singapore before coming to Europe. So I wanted to ask you, how would you describe the similarities uh, or differences between Asia and Europe when it comes to GovTech? Maybe make a bit of a comparison, um, what you learned, the different cultures and what Europe could maybe learn from Asia or vice, vice versa. Sure. This would be an interesting discussion. So. It is widely known that the European private sector lags in terms of digital investments, financing and adoption far behind Asia and even the United States. And one can say that in general, it is the same for the public sector, with a few exceptions, of course. So to put things uh, into concrete terms, last year, the OECD published the results of the Digital Government Index, DGI, of 2019, based on measuring most of our member countries' performance in the six dimensions of the digital government policy framework, as I have shared earlier. So Korea, the United Kingdom, and Colombia had the highest scores, followed by Denmark, Japan, and Canada. Germany was among the bottom six. So it's really a mix in terms of European and Asian countries. But as you can see, our Asian OECD member countries were among the top in terms of digital government maturity. 
But beyond this digital government index, if we were to put Europe and Asia side by side, the difference, I believe, is rooted in two main factors. Europe has legacy systems, mature infrastructure, and the cultural inertia to be more resistant to change. On the other hand, Asia is less held back by legacy systems. It has newer infrastructure, and more importantly, it is younger, vibrant, and very eager for change and improvement. And this was best exemplified in the COVID-19 pandemic response and recovery over the last year. We saw that countries like China, Korea, Singapore, and even Vietnam allowed digital technology and data to drive the COVID-19 response from public communication to tracking and tracing and ensuring that the general public was taking safety measures seriously. And of course, a large part of the effectiveness and efficiency of digital adoption and COVID-19 response is precisely because the public has a large degree of trust and the government in terms of adhering to and demonstrating efforts to be transparent. The government communicated timely and accurate information on the evolving situation. They showed that the use of technology and data was for the public interest and even allowed stakeholders to participate in developing tracing apps, data governance frameworks. And finally, they were also accountable in showing that the ultimate benefits are for the people. Now, I want to draw special attention to Korea, given that they performed best on the OECD Digital Government Index of 2019. The Korean government really has been exemplary in prioritizing a shift in mindset, culture, and practice to be a government of the people, I quote them, and a government for the people. Their policies, such as the Government Innovation Master Plan, has a strong emphasis in the strengthening of citizen participation and building trust to really make sure that digital technologies are used to meet people's needs and interests. The implementation of their digital government strategy also adopts the whole of government and the ecosystem approach, which we were talking about, in terms of involving the Ministry of the Interior and Safety, Economy and Finance, Science and ICT, and also over 30 industry sector representatives. And wider issues around building a digitally enabled state involve stakeholders from across the public sector, private sector, and academia. So to conclude, what we really need are people-driven digital governments that are agile, resilient, responsive, and trustworthy in the face of unpredictable events and crisis, so that they can, together with the ecosystem, build a sustainable, inclusive, and equitable digital economy and society. But, of course, to give some credit to Europe, having lived in Europe for the past five years, I'm also very optimistic of the EU's future, with the renewed ambition to build a Europe that is fit for the digital age and works for the people. And more importantly, Brussels has proven to be a regulatory powerhouse in creating legislation and setting standards that are rooted in fundamental rights, from data and consumer protection to poss possibly antitrust and digital tax. 
And now, more than ever, governments also need to start thinking about how to twin the digital and the green agenda. So, in that respect, the EU is doing a great job in pushing the bar, pumping investments and in stimulus to support the economic recovery and the transition to a greener and more resilient digital Europe. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time, Ethel. Um, I would leave it here on this positive note. Um, yeah, hoping the best for the European future. I hope that more people within the GovTech ecosystem will share this, this optimist view for the future. And again, thank you very much for being here today. It has been a pleasure for me. It was a pleasure for me too, Simon. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, make sure to follow our podcast on all relevant podcasting platforms like Spotify or iTunes. We will produce more content with relevant stakeholders from the European GovTech ecosystem. If you'd like to come on the show, feel free to contact us via social media. Until next time, Simon.